The internet can be a goldmine for identity themes. Hey, big score? Six pack of passports. You? A couple social security numbers. Ah, uh, well, beats real work, right? <laughs> <laughs> it can be dangerously easy to steal your identity. LifeLock by Norton makes it easy to help protect yourself. If you become a victim, we'll work to fix it. No one can monitor all transactions, but everyone can save up to 25% off their first year at LifeLock.com aware. Identity theft protection starts here. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035 extension 143 and on Skype Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And here we are with another special report from A Different Perspective. After a brief hiatus, I am indeed Kevin Randall, and uh, when Rob says I've written 25 books, I think the real question should be, how many of them have been published? Uh, actually, more than 25, but that's a question for some other time. I'll be joined shortly uh, with Brian Sentes. Um, this all came about in a discussion on various uh, Internet bulletin boards and uh, websites about the Project Blue Book television show, and one of the major critics of it was a fellow named Rich Reynolds, and I suggested he should come on the program and we could talk about our differences of opinion on the validity or the value of that program, and he directed me to Brian, who uh, we've uh, emailed back and forth a number of times, and he seemed like a reasonable fellow, and I thought, sure, let's get Brian on the program. So for those of you who do not know, he is a scholar and a poet based in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And Rob and he has had a nice discussion about Quebec uh, just a little while ago. With Susan Palmer, he published a well-received study of flying saucer religions, the most recent version of which is included in the Cambridge Companion to New Religions Movements, editors of edited by uh, Hammer and Rothstein in 2012. As of 2018, he has published three 
trade editions of poetry, Grand Gnostic Central, the Lodorian Magnitudes, hope I got that right, which contains express, explicitly ufological poems. Don't use big words in these things, Brian. It trips me up. Um, these uh, are related to chapbook published by Numa Press on the Phantom Airship Mystery, a poetic retelling of the Phantom Airship flap of the late 19th century. And I think we're going to discuss that a little bit, too. And that's itself is a larger part of a larger epic work. Brian, welcome to A Different Perspective. Howdy. That's all I get, howdy? Well, sorry. Uh, <laughs> hello. Nice to meet you. It's, it's, it's a pleasure and an honor to talk with you, Kevin. Um, I, I, if we were on a video version, I'd show you my, uh, my, my Kevin Randall library. Well, I hope it's extensive. And it it's not 25 books, but... Uh, and it probably contains none of the science fiction. None of the science fiction, sadly. But, you know, I'll tell you, when I got kind of back into the UFO uh, field back in the early 90s, uh, yours, uh, the one you, the, the book you wrote on Roswell with Schmidt, that was one of the very, very first books on Roswell I picked up and read. Well, we appreciate it because it earned us probably 12 and a half cents. Well, I guess you owe me a, a Canadian penny. <laughs> Is that that way it works? Uh, moving right along, because we've sort of digressed here, I had mentioned, as you heard, about uh, uh, the discussions about uh, the Project Blue Book television show on History Channel, which, of course, is, I guess, now in hiatus. Yes. And uh, I've always thought it, uh, I've always found it entertaining. I understood the difference between the drama and the documentary and that they were bringing drama into it to spice up things a little bit. Although I think in the realm of UFOs, you really don't need to spice things up, but Hollywood always needs to do that. Um, you were of the opinion that it wasn't that great of an entertainment program or that valuable to the UFO field? Uh, no, not at all. This, this was a sad thing about, the, uh, about this series. It was neither fish nor fowl. Um, on the one hand, it could have been a kind of a docudrama a well-done docudrama that would have stuck to the facts very carefully and pleased the euphemaniacal out there um, as, it, as it failed to do. Um, or it could have been a, a brand new series giving a whole new twist to the phenomenon, living up to its own promise to be kind of a madman meets the madman meets the X-Files. Uh, but it did neither. It does neither. Um, and so to sort of, in general, it's sort of a, a failure of both sort of imagination and nerve, I found. But wouldn't you say that a trip, attempting to appeal to the ufological crowd is a pretty narrow uh, population, and that to, to make it successful, you'd have to appeal to a much broader spectrum of people interested in it. So you have to bring into some, bring into it some of that um, fiction that they brought into it. Well, and on the one hand, I think you're perfectly right about this. But I think, on look, <laughs> they could have had sort of a, a docudrama, and had it been well done, as you said, UFOs are interesting and mysterious and exciting enough, right? Um, but they, 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 they didn't do that, and they, they kind of failed to make it a drama on its own merits, right? Um, and and I'm not the first one to point this out. There was a, a review in Time magazine that actually made the first the, exactly the same point very, very early on. Um, so look, on the one hand, you're perfectly right, but on the other hand, I think they're throwing too many sops to the uh, ufological community or those already interested in UFOs uh, because they seem to be pushing kind of a, uh, an extraterrestrial hypothesis version, kind of maybe um, the representation of the flying saucers and such are exactly what you'd expect for the most part. Um, so there's nothing, nothing new, nothing exciting, nothing uh, off base, weird, uh, which the phenomenon itself is weird. And I don't feel that the, uh, the, the series itself is weird enough. You'd like to see more weirdness then. Yeah, more weirdness, more strangeness, right? Um, because look, for example, in the Lubbock Lights episode, um, you have these lights flying over that look kind of like the photographs we have of the Lubbock Lights, but they were given this kind of weird, not weird, but a science fictional sound effect, right? As if it's just an alien spaceship or, or strange form of propulsion flying overhead. Well, why do you have to do that? Why not make it strange? Why not give the viewer that really unnerving experience that the people who saw the Lubbock lights must have had, that Gorman himself chasing that little light around in the sky must have had? Take us back to that freshness, that frightening uh, sense of the unusual, 
that 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 was the UFO phenomenon that that created the interest in it in the in the very early days. But does, it, does it bother you they jump around in time? Well, no. Um, I mean, I've I've written a couple of posts about this, and uh, if we think about the so-called a Fuller dogfight, right, um, which is based more or less on the Gorman dogfight, but there are a couple of little things that go in with there. Um, he he fires at it, as happened in a later case. Um, he gets pulled up by the light, as happened with the sort of coin helicopter case, and he goes crashing down to earth, which kind of reminded me of the Mantell case. So it struck me there that they weren't trying to sort of so much represent the Fuller dog, uh, the Gorman dogfight, but more to sort of present this kind of archetypical story of an Air Force pilot encountering a UFO and um, and dealing with it in various ways, shooting at it, being messed around by it, and finally crashing because of its interference. But in the context of creating a series that lasts for 10 weeks, as opposed to a movie that lasts for 90 minutes or 120 minutes, they had to make some sort of accommodation to kind of drag out the suspense. Is that, do you see that as a problem for the programmer? Well, I, don't, I, I think they didn't do this very well. Uh, I can think of two examples. Uh, there's Twin Peaks, uh, which is even before the X-Files, which tried to pull a murder mystery out for a whole season, and it didn't do very well. You have the X-Files, which managed to pull out uh, a mystery uh, for at least seven seasons. And this was the other disappointing thing about this, is that they seem to give too many answers too quickly. Uh, the Men in Black showed up really quickly. Uh, we found out that Susie was a spy, I think, in, in the second episode already. Um, there was, like I say, too much given away too quickly. Not enough mystery, not enough innuendo, um, either in terms of the, the sort of dramatic machinations with that sort of quasi-MJ-12 group um, or with the, the phenomenon itself. Well, I know they're going to, in the second season, make it clearer that the group, the quasi-MJ-12 group, isn't MJ-12. Yeah, that's why I said quasi. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that Quinn is not really Rupelt, but... Um, and I say Rupelt, meaning the one-time chief of Project Blue Book, which I explained for the audience, as opposed to you. And, uh, and the other officers who were in charge of Blue Book at uh, other times. So he's sort of a combination of those people. They didn't yes. want somebody who was pro-ET or anti-ET, but somebody that could fit into the program's context a little bit better. Well, there was an officer in charge of Blue Book, Quintilla, wasn't it? Or Quintanella. Quintanella. So I imagine they kind of got the name Quinn from there. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. I think they just picked it up. And, and <laughs> well, well, Quintanella wasn't, um, I don't think he was a pilot either. I don't think so. Um, no. I, think he, I think he had a degree in, um, he had an engineering degree which the Air Force likes, but um, then they stick him in what I thought of it by the time they stuck him in there as a dead-end job. Yeah, it was and, kind of and, late and, in the day. And kept him there. He entered as a captain, and he finally retired as a, as a lieutenant colonel, I think. So they kept him in there for quite a long time. See, the interesting thing about the Quinn character is that he is kind of like a, um, an amalgamation, right? He's a very original character. He's, he, he, doesn't, he, he represents a, a kind of a role or a function Right of the, the Air Force person in charge of Blue Book, more or less. Whereas Heineck is, of course, more or less based upon a real person. Um, but I think here is where the, the UFO maniacs, or the UFO, UFO files, as I like to call them, really go, go, go crazy. Because, uh, oh, that's not, like, that's not like who he really was, and they're representing him poorly. Well, let me, let me break in here, because I'm going to have to take a break. <laughs> so, yes. so we'll have to do that. Uh, I'm joined with Brian Sentez, whose uh, website is http skunkworksblog.com if you want to take a look at some of the things he's talked about in the past. Mine, of course, is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. We will return and probably expand the discussion into something more than just the Project Blue Book show when we come back right after this. So stick around. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. 
yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com. And we are back with Brian Sentez, who uh, is taught. We're talking about Project Blue Book, the television program. And before we went away, before I rudely interrupted him, um, he was berating the character of Quinn, I think, uh, or, or discussing the Quinn uh, that uh, people on the UFO community on the Internet disliked, I guess, quite a bit. So would you like to follow up on that? At yeah, all? I, I'm just I'm just trying to channel my inner Rich Reynolds here um, to sort of speak up for him, because, look, on the one hand, if, if you if you're a real hardcore UFO file, right, you're going to take great umbrage at the way that the series departs from the, uh, the, the the facts of the cases along the lines that I've described for the reasons I've, I've tried to give them. Um, but also, I think you're going to take great um, umbrage with the way that people are represented. Um, I mean, you yourself have remarked how unrealistic it is that Queen and Heineck got into a fist fight, uh, for example. And of course, there's a great deal of discomfort with the sort of little story arc between Susie and uh, Mimi Hynek. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. I think that's... Well, kind let, of me, let me just interrupt but... one here. Part of, part of my commentary on this program began when I was thinking, how do the Hynek's... Uh, what do the Hynek's think about the program? Yes. And before I started criticizing the program from that point of view, maybe I should learn what they had to say. Yes. So I was able to get in touch with Paul Hynek, one of Hynek's children. Yes, and talk to him about it, and and his point of view was they they had been brought in as consultants. They were deeply involved in the program, and they liked it. Yeah, I'm, and I I understand that. Like I said, I'm trying to channel my inner Rich Reynolds to speak up for that that part of the community that that doesn't like it. I have great problems with it as a piece of television. I find it rather sloppily written. I find there are great plot holes. I find it lacks uh, uh, drama and um, and interest. Um, and sometimes it's just downright silly. For example, in the uh, the Flatwoods Monster episode, you had the Evelyn character refer to not the men in black, but the men in hats, uh, for which not she should have been thrown out a window, but the scriptwriter, uh, because everybody at the time was wearing a hat for crying out loud. Um, you can do better than that. And it was sad because if you go to my blog, not to pitch it, but if you go to my blog and read the and, first and your blog is your blog is what? Skunk Works. Yeah, Skunk Works. If you go there and read the first thing about Project Blue Book called Poor Object Blowback, I talk about the opening scenes of the first episode and how cinematographs, how deft they were. Um, they were very, very complex in a really pleasing way. And as far as I was concerned, the sort of series kind of went downhill from there um, as a television series. Yeah, I'm just disappointed. I have uh, very high expectations, and uh, it would be nice to sort of see the the uh, the phenomenon, if not the history, given to us in a new way. 
right? But of course, the thing is, if you do it in a new way, if you don't throw in the conspiracy theory, if you don't throw in the extraterrestrial hypothesis, then you're not going to be pushing the buttons in the kind of demographic that you want to attract to the show, and you're going to lose them. But I think they they brought in they brought in the extraterrestrial. Yeah, they they explained the Flatwood Monster in the way that it was conventionally explained back yes. in 1952. Yes, that was. But also, but also they brought in an alien creature in a test tube. Well, that was, that was a monkey, wasn't it? I think that, that was a rhesus monkey, a test monkey. Uh, it was kind of a little. I didn't get. I didn't get. A, I didn't get a good look at it, but I, it, it seemed to me that it would be. Um, this was the one of the creatures, one of the beings recovered at Roswell, and we we eventually get to that point. Well, that was the that's the other thing I just just hated. Everybody knows about Roswell, and you know as well as I do that nobody knew about Roswell in the general public in the way that it is known today until after 1980 with uh, Berlitz and Moore's book. But everywhere, every oh, remember what they did to Roswell. Just like at Roswell, ah, that even I can't handle that. I find that really uh, pushy and uh, a real but, failure of imagination. But if you're talking, if you're talking about the inside, I think that if you if you look at the Project Blue Book files, there's absolutely no mention of Roswell in the Project Blue Book files, except for right. one paragraph in a newspaper clipping that is in right. a different file. Yes, but the people. Jesse Marcel, Colonel Blanchard, General Ramey, um, all of these people involved in it understood what was going on at Roswell, understood what was, was happening there. So in, in one sense, in one sense, the Air Force knew about it. And in the, the other sense, the public knew the weather balloon explanation and it went away quickly. But, but I, I think, you, go ahead. Not to interrupt, but look, I mean, if you think back to the Flatwoods Monster episode with the angry crowd, right, they took great hatred to Quinn because of what happened at Roswell. Then in a later episode, they had a Donald Kehoe character who, who reminded everyone, well, we all know what happened at Roswell. And, 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 and in, in the Lubbock Lights episode too, right? Um, I think it was Quinn turns to Heineck and mentions Roswell again. And well, I don't, I don't have a problem with Quinn mentioning it to, to Heineck. I don't mind that at all, yeah. uh, given, given who they are in, in the context of the program. I do have a problem with the the townspeople in Flatwoods. They didn't have their pitchforks and their uh, <laughs> torches marching yeah. on Castle Frankenstein, but yeah. you know that was that was the essence of what happened there. Uh, they, them bringing up Roswell is is inappropriate, especially in that time frame. So yes. you're absolutely correct on that. Uh, let's divert from the program, unless you have. A final comment you'd like to make? Uh, no, I mean, I, in a way, I'm a little sad. I don't have a, I don't have History Channel. <laughs> the only way I got to, the only way I got to watch it was because they had a free preview over here, um, and I wouldn't mind watching the second season and all. But I just sometimes my eyes roll out of my head, and I got to go looking for them. Uh, and I, I pointed out to um, one of the one of the vice presidents in charge of scripted programming for A and E, which owns the history channel that a lot of the military stuff and I, it's been on my <laughs> blog and I, I and I've, I've made comments to it to, to rich blog as well that there are many things wrong at that you know history take not history Hollywood take of military operations they don't understand that and they could rectify that yes easily without costing any money oh they should no no they should hire you rich uh, rich I'm, uh, Kevin I'm sorry middle of the uh, afternoon Kevin they should hire you I I do it for free just for the pure fun of making sure everything was right. But wouldn't it be more fun if they paid you just a stipend? Oh, of course. But we're not <laughs> we're not we're not at end of the money because you know everybody who does anything in the UFO field and and, and the people go against you, whomever those people might be, the true the skeptics or the uh, the true believers. If you say something against either one of those groups, it's you're only in it for the money. Yes, I know because, I am. Because because. <laughs> Because no journalist is is reporting for the money he's doing it there, I guess to get his name in the paper or something. I don't know. I mean, the point simply <laughs> is every, everybody's in it for the money. For crying out loud, that's yeah. a stupid stupid comment. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, as I was reading your um, bio that you sent, uh, you had talked about the um, a poet poetic retelling of the phantom airship flap of the 19th century. Yes. So I, I I've been interested in that. 
probably from my, the beginning of my interest in UFOs. Hmm. And there's a lot of people who are interested in this, this airship flap. Uh, so you you say phantom airship flap. Why, could you explain why you use that that descriptive term? Uh, well, the, it, that was what it was called, the phantom airship. That was often what it was referred to in the papers, wasn't it? Uh, I guess periodically it was, yeah, yeah. or the great airship or yeah, the, mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah, so look, I, I, I chose it as a title, you know, um, On the Phantom Airship Mystery. Um, and there's a little bit of a, a poetic play in there because there's the, the word ship is both a, a noun and a verb, right? So on the phantom air, ship, mystery, on the phantom airship, mystery, and so on. That was just the title I chose, and I just chose that from the, uh, the way it was often described. You uh, did research <laughs> did research into the, the airship, I take it. Yeah, I read a lot. I mean, I, I've got a, a great big library here, like I, I guess some people do. And I sort of went through all the books and took all the notes. Um, I kind of would almost want to do it all over again. Um, and then from that, I just uh, put the little stories into, into lines uh, with a bit of a rhythm. Um, and I sort of, to, to me, what was interesting was the way that there was a certain uh, pattern set up, a certain constellation set up. So that what was interesting here was not so much what was behind those lights, but that those lights recurred in certain patterns. And those patterns, as John Keel already you know, knew decades ago, is one that recurs again. And so what was nice was to have a little poem about the Aurora airship crash, which I know you don't believe happened. Um, for the purposes of the poem, it doesn't matter whether it happened or not. Uh, but it's, it was interesting how that um, echoes in advance or sort of foreshadows the, the, the Roswell crash or other crashes that, that supposedly happened in the 20th century. And that's what was interesting to me was the sort of the contacts that were made with tall blonde people um, that happens again with, with George and Damsky in the 1950s. Uh, there was a, 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 a cow that was kidnapped and mutilated, right? Uh, at least there's a story to that effect and so on. So all these little stories that, that, that come back again in the 20th century, that was kind of what I wanted to sort of uh, work with there and set up these echoes and these these little uh, rhymes uh, and so on that, that are sort of a big, bigger pattern, a bigger mythological pattern as far as I'm concerned. Well, I'm going to explore this a little bit further with you here in the next segment because you've said some things that uh, kind of resonate with, with my beliefs, especially around the Aurora uh, mm. air, airship crash. And for those interested, I did quite a bit of stuff on it on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Why I don't think the uh, Aurora airship crash took place, why I think it's a hoax. And uh, I was one of the first UFO investigators to actually go to Aurora and talk to the people there. When I was there, people were still alive who'd been there in 1897. So I wow. had some insight to how they, they uh, reacted to it. So we will come back right after this. Uh, there's many fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. And if you go to the X-Zone Broadcast Network uh, website, you can take a look at the program, see what uh, might interest you uh, beyond a different perspective. And as I say, it's... Uh, my blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and we will be back right after this, so stick around. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jennings, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologist, 
facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on TV. Plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like X Zone, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. I am back. I have a guest, Brian Sentes, with me. We're talking about um, the Great Airship of 1897 now. And uh, I guess while we were uh, in the break there, uh, I mentioned that I had been to Aurora, Texas, probably before many of the other UFO investigators. And I was there early enough that I was able to actually interview people who'd been around in 1897. Granted, they were children in 1897, but they were living in Aurora, Texas in 1897, and I had a chance to chat with them. Interestingly, uh, a year or so later, their stories changed. And hmm. instead of telling me that it was, tell, telling everyone it was a hoax, as they told me, and it never happened, and they, they don't know what people are talking about, suddenly they were witnesses to the airship blowing up. Isn't that interesting? The other interesting thing is there were two histories, and I, I, I discussed this on my blog at, at one point, of um, Wise County, Aurora, Texas being in Wise County. Two mm -hmm. histories written within 10 years of the airship crash. Neither one of them mentions it. Now, you would right. think something of that magnitude without the CIA to <laughs> manipulate the situation and the men in black and visiting everybody. Yeah. You'd think that would be mentioned in the um, the... the uh, County histories, Wise County histories, but but it is not, which leads me to believe it's a hoax. So, well, you know, there there are two things to sort of say in that. In, uh, in general, you know, one could almost argue that the whole um, uh, mystery airship, a phantom airship, or whatever you want to call it, was just a hoax. Um, maybe at the end of the day, and I'd, I'd have to sort of take the time out to to do do, do do the digging. Maybe it's just all newspaper stories. Well, uh, here's the thing: I've done this digging. Yes. Okay. <laughs> And um, what what scares me about the airship wave of 1897 is it mirrors the modern era. Yes. The aspects of the modern era we have, the, the cattle, cattle mutilations. Well, we have the story from Leroy, Kansas, which turns yes. out to be a hoax. Uh, it mirrors the Roswell case and UFO crash retrievals that yes. from Aurora. Um, you've got abduction accounts. You have, you have people who are... Uh, contactees. Yes. But on the other side of the coin, there's any number of stories where the people have communicated with the pilots of the airship. And a lot of them said, well, we're on the, uh, uh, we're, we're practicing for our mission. We're on our way to Cuba to bomb the Spanish. And this was just prior to the Spanish-American War. So you get, you get some interaction with um, humans who have designed the airship with, uh, I guess, military planning in mind. You know, that's interesting. I mean, having done the digging, um, do you know who owned the newspapers that published the stories about the Phantom Airship mystery? There were newspapers all over the country, so it wasn't yep. any great syndicates. It wasn't Hearst in most cases? No, no. In fact, I got an email or I got a phone call from a guy in uh, here in Iowa 
who had read the uh, the book you uh, history not history um, crash when UFOs fall from the sky which is my compendium of UFO crashes and mm -hmm. it mentioned that one had crashed near his town and it was only like three paragraphs and he was the editor of the local newspaper which um, so we had a very nice discussion about that, and uh, he sent me some information. I sent him some information, and again, once again, I, I, I covered the story on my blog here, I think in January, about yes. all of this sort of thing. But that was an independently owned newspaper that may have been associated with an Omaha newspaper, which no longer exists. You see, has what, been bought out. what struck me at one time was that this would be a very effective propaganda uh, story. So you're heading into war with Cuba and there's this mysterious phantom airship flying around. And either it's yours or it's not. If it's not yours, you've got reason to be afraid. And then, well, who's going to defend you? Well, the American army will defend you. If it's yours, it's a sign of your superiority. Uh, so it's, it's a win-win situation as a story as you head into a war with, uh, with Cuba, or with Span Spain, actually. I, but I'm, I'm not sure that that was a... Um, theme throughout a great deal of the uh, articles. No, it uh, wasn't. It wasn't. It, this, this was never was, ever said. Well, I, 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 there was a. I, I've got a copy of the article somewhere in my files. Uh, the, I'm not sure whether it's the Fort Worth newspaper, or the Dallas Morning News, because I haunted both um, morg, uh, morgues looking for stories. Yes. But it was a story from. Uh, like I said, in Texas, where the guys were practicing for their mission to bomb the Spanish in Cuba. But that was like, that wasn't a big theme throughout all the airship stories. The, no, but uh, what I'm saying is in, in, more, in a more general sense, right? The public hears about these stories. They're going to be uh, at, least, at least two different um, responses. One, let, let, let's say they take it seriously. I mean, one response will be, oh, it's just a hoax, what a, what a joke. Uh, on the other hand, it might be, oh, there's something very strange and mysterious going on, or it's a sign of Yankee ingenuity, right? And that's the kind of uh, feeling that you want your populace to go into as you're preparing for a potential war with a, a nation as, as, as powerful as Spain at the time. And you can take that parallel into the modern era as well. Oh, yes. Uh, when you get into 1947, which was well, 50 years later, you have yes. the same sort of thing. Uh, we don't know what these things are. They're invading our airspace. I, 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 we can see from the records that the uh, U.S. military didn't know what the things were, and they were right. very concerned about that. If it was something that the Soviets had developed or uh, something like that, then, then we are behind the eight ball in that respect. But uh, if it's not Soviets, then where did it come from? Who's, who's, whose is it? But you see the so same sort of worry and paranoia kind of um, running rampant through um, the military at the time, but also the population as well. We've got to resolve this in some way that'll uh, stop a public panic. Yes, that was, of course, the great fear. There'd be kind of a, a war of the world response. And, uh, of course, all the communications lines would get jammed up and confusion would reign. Um, and, of course, this, this, this speculation is one that, that comes right down to the present day. I'm thinking of Mark Pilkington's uh, Mirage Men. I'm thinking of uh, Jacques Vallée's book Revelations, um, which doesn't try to equate uh, the UFO phenomenon with, with man-made airforms, um, but points to the ways that the story has been used by um, intelligence agencies and various militaries to conduct various uh, sociological experiments and to perhaps use um, in uh, military operations. We know, for example, that in the First War, uh, the Germans projected an image of the Virgin Mary on a smoke, uh, smoke screen in front of the French trenches to kind of freak them out. Um, and so if, if there were a, an air force that had a kind of an air form that resembled a flying saucer, this could be, it didn't have, doesn't have to be armed, it doesn't have to be very effective, but it will certainly cause someone to think twice before shooting at it, as opposed to it being say a helicopter with a red star on it. But people did shoot at it. Yeah, this is the irony. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> sometimes with a metallic ping, sometimes uh, not, not, not striking anything. There's so many different stories. I mean, we can think back to the, the Iran story from 1976, I think, where the, uh, the jets uh, stopped operating. Uh, well, the, the electro electromagnetic effects yes. uh, inhibited their uh, attempt to, to engage the, the object. Yeah. But moving back to the great yes. airship, is there yes. any stories uh, in 
from that time that you found particularly appealing or particularly interesting or particularly possibly truthful? Well, I'm not too sure about truthful offhand. I mean, the one thing that, that that's that's in terms of its literary richness anyway, and you might appreciate this as a science fiction writer, is the Aurora Crash. Because just like with Roswell, there was a reported little body, a little mutilated body. Just like at Roswell, uh, there was a little notebook found in strange little purple hieroglyphics, uh, just like the hieroglyphic uh, hieroglyphs on the different, I think, little I-beams that they found at Roswell. Um, and and oh, really funnily enough, they threw the wreckage down the well, right? Which, of course, rhymes with Roswell quite nicely. Um, <laughs> Never <laughs> I mean, made I that connection. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't even have to try very hard. I mean, because the whole story is already uh, literary poetic enough. Um, I wrote a little blog post called um, Twining Weaver Curtain. These are all names of people involved with, with Project Blue Book. Um, or better yet, Thomas Mantell flying over Godman Air Force Base on January the 7th, which is Ukrainian Christmas. I mean, this, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't, if you wrote this as a science fiction novel, the editor would say, oh, come on now, that's too heavy handed. Right? Anyway. I would, I was just going to say, I don't, I think Mantell actually crashed way south of the Godman uh, Army oh, Airfield. I know, but he flew, <laughs> but he flew from the Godman Airfield, did he not? He was he was heading toward it and he was in communication with them. Yeah, there we go. But I mean, Thomas Mantell. What, <laughs> what, what, is he, what could he tell us? And would he lie like a lying Thomas? And so on and so forth. Anyway, um, but the, the Aurora so crash you, is, is so a sweet you deal. took it in you took it into a really literary arena. That's that's the job, man. I also te <laughs> I, I'm an English teacher too. That's how I make my bread. I'm I'm, I'm that's what I'm in for the money. <laughs> <laughs> But or what, I, thought, I thought the teachers just did it for uh, their love of teaching. Oh, I, you know, I love my students. I, I like most of my students most of the time dearly. Um, and I do get very well remunerated. I, I got no complaints. But I'd much rather be talking about this sort of stuff uh, with, with you. <laughs> <laughs> and get paid for it. <laughs> than, than pulling teeth sometimes. Yeah. Um, but here, let's, let's turn this around a little bit. From the, the Phantom Airship. Um, are there any stories that strike you as particularly uh, compelling or persuasive or, or real or truthful? Well, I'm going to answer that question after we take a break. Very because good. We're running, we're running up against the, the <laughs> break here, and I can dodge the question at least for a few minutes that way. Cool. Uh, once again, it's uh, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and the other is skunkworksblog.com. Brian Sentes, who is uh, written, I guess, poetically about <laughs> UFOs, for those who are interested. Uh, the latest book that I've done is an update of Case MJ-12, which is a re-examination of a material that came out you know, a decade and a half ago in a book I'd done, Case MJ-12. There was a, a review of it on Amazon, which kind of annoyed me, where the guy says, well, this is all old information. I'm thinking, yeah, guy, take a look at the copyright date of the book. So that book is out as well as uh, Encounters in the Desert about Socorro. We will be back right after this and finish up the program talking about my favorite UFO cases. So stick around. here and they've been here for thousands of years making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzulli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. 
So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. And we are back for the final segment. I'm joined by Brian Santez. His uh, website is skunkworksblog.com. There's fun stuff on there. Take a look at it. When I forced him to be quiet so we could take a break, uh, he was asking me about, um, I guess, my favorite UFO sightings cases. Sure. <laughs> and, and you're going fo- to follow on with that then, I take it. Yeah, let's, let's, let's follow up with that. I mean, especially, about, especially from the, the, the airship, but maybe there's some, yeah, well, what, I, about, I enjoyed, what about I enjoyed... that 1897 uh, wave? Because uh, that's that's an interesting thing. Because on the one hand, one could make a case. You might disagree, having done more of the research than I have. That's for sure. That that a lot of it was just a way to sell newspapers. But is there is there a case there that really strikes you as being the real thing? In 1897. Yeah. No. No, isn't that interesting? And Jerry Clark and I, Jerry Clark, who uh, just had his third edition of his massive UFO encyclopedia come out, and it's. Yes. Cost like eight billion dollars, um, but it's huge and massive and worth every billion that you spend on it. Uh, he and I disagree. He thinks there was a core of solid sightings that came out of California in 1896, in the fall of 1896, just before winter was coming. Mm-hmm. That was how I slipped that in there. And um, I disagree. I don't know what inspired them to come up with this cockamamie story of somebody with an airship. But I guess if you look at the time and there's a lot of discussion in the scientific literature about flight, heavier than air flight, lighter than air flight. They're talking about dirigibles and blimps and all of that sort of thing. And so that may be sort of the reason it popped up in the, in the time it did. And the people claiming, well, I built this airship. And actually it, it came, the, the, the original story was that some guy had built it. Yes. And he was going to be flying it around in Southern California and that sort of thing. And that never really happened. And then it spread into the Midwest and the South. Um, and uh, I know that there was a, a group of telegraphers in Iowa who got involved in it. And what they would do is one, one a telegrapher in one town would send out the message over the teletype that the airship just went over town and it's heading to the South. And the guy next town to the south would say, ah, it just got here and it's now heading toward the west. And they kind of right. kept it alive that way. And there was a story from Burlington, Iowa, which uh, I think it was Burlington, where the newspaper actually was launching hot air balloons, you know, the, the, like, like they did in the 1960s and 70s to simulate UFO settings. Okay, and, and they would talk to people. And one guy said, yeah, I heard, I heard strange discussions coming from this, this airship. Yes. And, and the reporters were launching it. And, and it, for the very reason you say, to sell newspapers and get people interested in talking about it. But you know, we can turn this around and say, look, if, if it wasn't a real kind of UFO flap, as it were, then, then, then why does it have all the, the sort of common elements uh, that we see repeated after the Second War? Um, it, and, it, has, and, it, bears, and, it bears all the hallmarks of a flap, right? Number one, uh, it has, like you say, crashes, mutilations, contacts, um, hoaxes as well, right? Debunkings as well. Oh, the sighting, sighting of Venus. I think the Omaha sighting that's talked about with the head that was seen in the West with this big glowing headlight on it yes. uh, that faded away, that had to be Venus. Okay. Um, but, also, but also the fact that, that, again, the airship was just one step ahead of the aeronautical technology of the day. 
which is also another common feature that we have now. In the 1920s, there was actually a flying saucer that was that was sighted with a little Italian flying it, and it had rivets. And then, <laughs> right? And then just as we're having nice jet aircraft coming out, they come out nice and smooth. And as, as our own technology picks up, they're just one step ahead, one step ahead, almost as if they're teasing us along. Well, if you want to, if you want to go along with that, if you take a look at the occupant sightings from the uh, early era of the modern era, they're wearing spacesuits, they're wearing helmets, yes. they're wearing apparatus, and then when yep. we get we move along, pretty soon they're walking around in our atmosphere without any problems at all. They've developed an ability to breathe oxygen, I guess. Those so it, 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 devils. but it, but the point is, it's sort of it's sort of evolved from the I, Buck Rogers idea to uh, something where they don't need the apparatus to breathe in our atmosphere. They've conquered that problem, whatever that problem might have been. So what does that imply about the reality of the phenomenon, if there is a reality? The thing, the thing that frightens me most, and I've said this before, is the fact that the 1897 airship flap mirrors the modern era flaps to a great degree, because yes. we have all the elements in 1897 that we found after 1947, 50 years later, we found to find all of that stuff. And that that needs to be something that worries UFO researchers, because if you say the 1897 air, airship stories are bogus for whatever reason, that they're not alien creatures coming down, then what do you say about the stories that came out after 1947? How can you... Um, justify a different opinion. One is terrestrially based and the other one now is extraterrestrially based. Well, we know for some people it's, it's not a problem because they think it's all bogus, right? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not one of those. I'm, 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 I'm undecided, but I, I like, like, uh, like Jacques Vallée, for example, who I, I rely on perhaps too much. There, there does seem to be some cases which point to a very genuine phenomenon, which is not well understood at all, um, which is different from the Hestelian lights, for example, which seem to be something else. Um, you know, there are cases that you know even better than I do, uh, where there are ground traces, um, radar like reports are one thing, multiple sightings another thing. Electromagnetic uh, effects, some yes. interesting photographs, uh, instrumentality involved being seen through either binoculars or telescopes or on radar scopes. Um, at, at White Sands, for example, in 1947, there was uh, a theodolite uh, um, measurement. No, it's 1949, and it was Charles Moore, Charles Moore, the great mogul guy who was involved in it from Array, New Mexico. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that is one of the unidentifieds in the Project Blue Book file. So we have a real disconnect there. Uh, Charles Moore saw a real flying saucer yeah. and reported to the Air Force. And then later says, well, I, uh, I lodged the uh, Roswell case with the Project Mogul balloons, even though the documentation said there was no flight on the date that uh, he claims he launched it. So Yes. So the, the, these are, this, this, again, this is what makes it all so interesting. Um, on the one hand, there is a very big sort of social aspect as the people who like the psycho the psychosocial hypothesis, right? That it's all just a kind of a science fictional imagination, uh, misperceptions, uh, and and so on. Um, there's that aspect to it, without a doubt. But there is also very very compelling, very interesting, very brow scratching um, events that have occurred, um, and that's what keeps the uh, the phenomenon alive. And and. I think there's, uh, you know, some of the cases, there are no terrestrial explanations that really fit all the information that you have. And I, I again, think of level land here where you have the craft interacting with the environment. You have witnesses at least 13 different locations yes. reporting independently everything that they saw, which is in essence the same thing. Yes. Um, and you, so you look at that and you say, well, there's no terrestrial explanation that we're aware of. The Air Force tried to explain it as ball lightning. And, and yeah. <laughs> I always, always thought it was kind of funny. Here's, here's a theoretical construct, ball lightning, that they didn't understand in 1957, used to explain something else that we don't really understand. Uh, kind of a silly thing to do. Well, you're leading into next week's show, you cunning devil. Because, of course, you'll be talking with someone who believes that UFOs are from the future. No, no, that's, uh, that's uh, in two weeks. That's in two weeks. Forgive me. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, but again, again, to, uh, one unexplained explained by another unexplained. Well, yeah, but his, his theory is interesting. If At least it accounts for the humanoid aspect of the, the so-called euphonauts. 
Yes, and and the thing is, we've we've talked about the time travel aspect of it. Uh, I've talked about it before. I've always said it's kind of my favorite explanation because mm -hmm. it's more fun than some of the other explanations being offered. Well, we'll have to get we'll have to talk again later because one of my hobby horses, and I'll plug my blog here, <laughs> is precisely the kind of assumptions that are behind the extraterrestrial hypothesis and the anthropomorphisms, the anthropocentric prejudices that underwrite the notions of intelligence, non-human intelligence, technology, and so on. Um, and I find that much more worrisome uh, and compelling um, than, the, than, the, than the, tr the possible truth of these theories. Um, but that we'd, we'd need another show for that one. Well, yeah, and we can we can explain some of that stuff by postulating a alien race trying to interact with the humans. But that's like you say, that's uh, for another show. And and we're just we're just getting right out of time here. <laughs> we're right up against the against the end of it. Brian, this has been more fun than getting dirty. Well, I, I'm I'm I'll go take a shower right now. <laughs> uh, your blog is skunkworks. Uh, skunkworksblog.com I keep wanting to say skunkworksblogspot but skunkworksblog.com take a look at it there's some interesting stuff there um, the book on the phantom airship mystery it's a poetic retelling of it I'm, I'm not sure uh, how that works in this environment <laughs> meaning uh, the people who normally listen to the show but thank you so much for taking some time to join us and you'll okay. come back sure. absolutely thank you very much thank you well, as uh, Brian mentioned, we've got some shows coming up. Next week, we're going to be talking to Mike uh, McMaster. Uh, he was right. Mike McMaster is the guy, uh, the time travel guy. He is coming up next week. I looked at my calendar wrong. Um, his book has just come out. It got uh, some play on the Fox News channel, um, and I'd already contacted him about coming on the program. We'll be talking about aliens uh, or, or future humans coming back. A uh, week after that, we have Terry Loveless, who is an abductee with an interesting story. So we've got some interesting shows coming up in the past or in the future. Uh, we'll get back with. Um, Calvin Parker. There's some things that we wanted to explore with him we didn't get a chance to do. As I say, take a look at uh, Roswell in the 21st century if you want to know where that uh, inf that investigation stands right now. Um, Encounter in the Desert about the Socorro UFO sighting. I think we've, uh, we, I've uh, put together some information that uh, was not generally known that uh, gives it a little more emphasis when we will be back in probably 167 hours with another program. So thanks for sticking around with us for this long. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? 
Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo-TV plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games, no need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. <laughs> 